Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. I'm Nigeria's best and co-hosting with me is Phoenix Agenda. Today we have two guests. Our first guest is Irene. Her Twitter handle is CreamChick11. Irene is a works within the pharmaceutical industry in Nairobi, and she's also a on the on the side, she's a mixologist. Our second guest is Omasa. Omasa is a postgraduate student in international business in Oxford in England. So the three big stories of the week are firstly, the Nigerian government has created an exception to its border closure policy for Dangote Industries. The second story is the Niger Delta governors held a meeting and have condemned the federal government allowing Zamfara state to control their gold when the same is not done for Niger Delta oil resources. And the third story is the Alpha Beta scandal involving Bola Tinubu, uh, one of the leaders of the APC. So firstly, onto the first story, uh, Phoenix. Uh, Buhari introduced this border closure policy, the policy that was condemned by all, by the majority of international economists. I was also condemned by lawyers because it seemed to violate the ECOWAS Free Trade Treaty as well as the Africa Free Trade Agreement. But despite all these condemnations, Buhari refused to change course. But he has now created an exception for Dangote Industries. Why is that, Phoenix? It goes no further than, um, I mean, than, the, than, I mean, people who have identified, and I'd said this from the, from the first uh, term, um, that Buhari's uh, political and social economic ideology is that of statism. So when he first came in in 2015, a lot of people were a bit confused, uh, particularly because he wrote on the progressive agenda of the APC, which was largely formed by, the, I mean, the, the, the Southwest politicians who, I mean, always go for things like free education, um, I mean, social welfare and all of that. And people started thinking that uh, Bahari is more of a, of a socialist and, you know, and all of that. But it was always very clear that, I mean, if you, if you look at his background, how he's always operated, especially in his first time coming to, to power, it was more of a feudalistic and if, if you really look at it in Niger, Nigerian context, a, a, a statist ideology where everything is controlled by the, the central government and they determine who has access to uh, economic resources and who gets to move ahead. And this is a classic example of that because what they've done is, is virtually stop the economy from performing, stop everyone from, from doing their legitimate business and then handpicking those who they choose uh, to, to go ahead and, and, and benefit from the economy. So, so it's 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 classic. Um, I mean, Buhari ideology, and 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 the, the 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 interesting part of it is the fact that I mean, he's he's doing it at a time when it is clearly uh, detrimental to the economy, 
and nobody in his party, in, in I mean, considering that we're, we're a democracy, is able to have a dissenting voice or at least to even advise that, look, I mean, we understand the general framework that you want to operate by, but this is not the right time to do it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. The economy has, has practically refused to rebound from the recession of 2016, 2017. This is not the time for you to be putting shackles on the economy and choosing a few cronies uh, and allowing them to do well. This um, um, policy on, on closed borders been in place for almost a year now has clearly created issues i mean we remember i think it was a, a month or so ago when when the whole bra around maize came up they had they had banned the importation of maize it created a scarcity and all of a sudden they issued import licenses to four companies to go and bring in maize of course naturally that shot the prices up and created uh, ripple effects across the economy so so i mean you're seeing how very ill thought out uh, policies based on a, a very a clearly wrong ideology, um, which is being allowed to take root, is, is affecting the economy. And that's, that, that's, the, that's my, my, my um, clear understanding of what, what's going on. And you, can, and, and you can expect that this would continue to create even more negative effects as we go along. Well, thank you. Uh, Phoenix, I, I quite agree that it's it's odd that first of all the alliance of so-called progressives would bring in someone like uh, Buhari into their fold, someone whose policies in the past and even in the present are, are not progressive, and we can see the impact it's having on the economy if if people cannot do business. But uh, uh, Irene, I know you're in pharmaceuticals, which is a global multinational type of business because you have to get drugs across the borders. You have to buy raw materials from other countries. So how, so the first question is, how would a business like yours survive in Nigeria with these uh, border closures? So that's, that's the, the first question. Okay, so um, regarding the border closures, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it's really it, the, the the biggest victims. First of all, are actually those at the border. The biggest um, direct victims, in the sense that you know, part of part of you know that inter 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 country or interstate um, petty trading would is, is also greatly affected. For pharmaceuticals, not so much, and the reason is that a lot of a lot of um, the pharmaceutical products come in by sea or by air freight. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not exactly, you know, your typical land routes um, product. It's not even a safe um, land route um, 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 uh, item or commodity. What is, what is more key is this. That's why I was saying that, you know, the people, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, the people who will be most affected are people who, for instance, had access to both sides of the divide for whatever items, whatever you know, um, kind of healthcare that they wanted, healthcare um, products that they wanted to get that would not be able to have um, the same kind of access. And for those ones, you know, it would be, it would be, it would, and also, I mean, to, it would just really be that you know, prices will go up for them, um, as we have already seen. Uh, 
one other thing that I thought would be what's very important to mention as well is that this border closure affects us in in more ways than one, and it sends a really, 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 really bad um, message. And that's I think that's even what is the bigger problem. You know, I might I might not yes our drugs you know most of our drugs require have a lot of um, um, pharma, pharma requirements, you know, to keep them stable and all of that. And that's why road is not always the best route um, for mass transportation of medications. But then there's other things that are, you know, um, like that, 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 are, that are affected, you know, like our FMCGs, our, you know, um, our small snacks, you, you understand what I mean? Um, consumer goods, biscuits, and all of that, dairy products especially, you know, when you compare Nigeria, for instance, to places like Ghana, places like Kenya, you see that, you know, like in Kenya, all dairy processing is done in Kenya. All, the entire value chain is in country. You know, you hardly would find anybody taking something like imported yogurt. It's, it's a very strange thing to Kenyans. But for, but for instance, one of, one of the best yogurts today in, in Lagos, from what I hear, is coming from Ghana. You know, it's those sort of things and those sort of businesses that are going to be affected. And it sends a very, very bad message to those businesses because, you know, people are looking for businesses where to operate in places where that are that are much more stable. Um, yet over the weekend, I was actually on a tour. I went to a farm yesterday in, in somewhere in um, Limoro in Kenya. 20 acre farm, really large estate and all of that. I went with a group of friends. And, you know, just as we are enjoying the scenery, we're also looking at, you know, the business opportunities. What is the future of agribusiness in, um, in Kenya? And, you know, one of them said to share an experience. Before I could even give my opinion, he said to share an experience he, he had conversing with a Kenyan on coffee production, coffee and tea um, production, processing and all of the agro, agro processing and all of that. And, the guy is like, listen, I'm trying to get out of this because this environment is also getting tough. You know, if I don't have, if you don't have government backing, if you don't have, um, you know, if you don't have government backing, if you don't have um, uh, a very strong political base, you know, things can change very quickly for you in that climate and you find yourself, you know, losing out on your investment, uh, you know, and so, it's that kind of thing. And so the guy was saying, oh, but you know, I'm coming from Nigeria where, you know, I'm scared to invest because for exactly the same thing, you know, the border tensions today between Tanzania and Kenya is heading in that same, you know, Nigeria-esque direction, for instance. Now, Magufuli has increased the taxes on trucks, you know, um, carrying goods in and out of the country. The truck drivers are complaining, you know, who wants to bear that the brunt of that who wants to be at the brunt? You know, the truck, the truck drivers don't want to be at the, the brunt. The, the people, the, the manufacturers um, and the farmers don't also want to be at the brunt. They're already making too little. And the consumer does not want to be at the brunt because, I mean, we're all in an economic, hard, we're in an economic you know, hardship, so to say. So, you know, that kind of tension is brewing right now there. But what we did is instead of even making it a a you know a diplomatically tense situation we just went and just cut that tie you know we we're not only punishing ourselves we're also punishing our neighbors who also see 
exports, you know, to Nigeria as a risky business now, you know, and it's, I think it's really, really, really terrible anyhow you look at it and for any business, um, for any range of businesses. Thank you, Irene. Uh, firstly, for educating me on the pharmaceutical sector, because I hadn't realized that you guys only moved your goods and commodities via air or uh, sea. Well, thinking about it, yes, because I can imagine they're very, very delicate uh, drugs. So moving them by road might not be ideal. But I also yeah. your the follow-up point you made, which is that whilst they might not affect pharmaceuticals, there are other industries that are affected, the, the small businesses and also relationships between Nigeria and her neighbors. Omasa, I suppose the question is, if everyone, uh, economists, scientists, are all telling the president that, look, this policy does not make any sense, what do you think is his motivation for continuing to move in this direction? Well, hello, Michael. Hello, Phoenix. Hello, Irene. It's a clear indication that, well, at least one of my friends said this, well, the Bahari government is engaged in wealth redistribution. But rather than going from the top to the bottom, we are all in redistributing our, we're all giving our money to, to our president's friends and cronies and people who can, who can capture him enough to get what they want from him. Because this is clearly an instance of state capture. First of all, closing the borders was economically suicidal and a very bad idea. I don't think anyone doubts that. But this current policy of letting only the president's friends and cronies, because Dangote is not the only one who has got exemptions from, from the border closure. I know the BUA group, which is another cement company, has got some exemptions. And there are rumors, which I haven't confirmed, of many companies who have been able to get waivers and access to the president, being able to export their goods across the border. It is not entirely surprising because this has been the presidency's modus operandi in for the last 10 years. You mentioned maize. We've had, a, we've had the two forex crisis we've had, thanks to Buhari just simply creating a barrier where there was none and, using, and exploiting the arbitrary opportunities to make him, him make his cronies rich and rich, or even richer in this case. So we're, we're, we're basically in Nigeria redistributing wealth we're visiting the wealth of the nation and we're abusing it from the poorest people in society up to the richest people because food prices have gone up, staples have gone up, and this is a general trend across the board. So that's, the, that's in my view, the main reason why this thing is happening is purely political. It's not really about the economic benefits of it, but the Buhari government gains when it makes things difficult and it's able to make money that way in that kind of it's pure, pure issue of state, state capture and corruption. That's my view on it. Thank you, Omasa. I, I quite agree because it makes no sense to create a ban and then make exceptions for your friends and cronies. So, yes, you're right. It, it is a, a transfer of wealth from, sadly, from the poor to the rich because, in this case, the poor Nigerians are now paying more for basic goods and services because the borders have been uh, closed. But uh, moving on to our next topic, Niger Delta governors held a meeting last week, uh, all six of them were in attendance, 
And the outcome of the meeting was to condemn what they describe as the unfair nature of the Nigerian system, where on the one hand, they are not allowed to control the oil resources in their, in their states, but Zamfara seems to be seems to have the latitude to manage its gold reserves because the whole idea was the constitution said all resources should belong to the federal government. So they are, they're asking why is Zamfara being treated differently from the Niger Delta? So to uh, Phoenix, do they have a point when they say Zamfara is being treated uh, better than they are being treated? I'm not, I'm not clear that they have a point, and I think we've discussed this um, before when when Pagmi was first launched. Um, I haven't seen anything that shows that uh, the government is um, managing this different from um, the the way the laws were set up. So we have we have the um, minerals and uh, the Solid Minerals Act that clearly states that I mean any any. Uh, solid minerals or things like that that are found in uh, anywhere in Nigeria belongs to the federal government. And that's still the case. Um, I mean, under this gold um, discussion, what the government has done, just like with oil prospecting licenses, is to, is to and oil mining licenses, is to issue licenses to people who mine for gold. Now, these uh, artisans are meant to be um, affiliated with the people who have the mining licenses. So at the end of the day, the gold still flows um, to the federal government and I mean, they do their normal sharing formula. So I'm not sure that I see anything that uh, suggests that the government is doing something different from, from how the law is set up. Now, can there be something underhanded going on? I mean, you, you never can you never can rule that out. I mean, so I, I don't have details to that effect, but we do know that this current government is quite sectional. We do know that uh, there's a preponderance of, uh, of 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 making things more favorable to the north. Uh, we've seen it, so it could be that there are some arrangements that they are making that. Uh, that give that that exploits loopholes in the in the various acts and 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 make this make a mockery of the entire process, but I think I think on the other hand, I think the agitation that the governors are doing makes a whole lot of sense, because I've I've never agreed with the thirteen percent derivation. I think I think it's I think it's not sufficient. I think there should be a call for more resource control. I believe very strongly. That they should, they should. That's where the agitation should be tailored towards, and and they should, uh, I mean, make not only make noise and and do stuff in the media, but also engage their own constitutional lawyers who begin to find a way that they can, you know, begin to chip away at the system to change what currently exists and bring more to the people. So, for me, there are two things: um, is is the stance on gold. Um, antithetical to the act. I'm not, I don't see that happening and, and, and happy to be proven wrong. But are they right to be agitating for more resource control? Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that 100%. Thank you, Phoenix. I, I think I'm in two minds because I think on, on paper, like you said, there doesn't seem to be any 
anything untoward because I think the same principles are applying to both regions. But the question seems to be, I think the fundamental issue seems to be, I think in Zamfara, a lot more people who don't have licenses seem to be able to mine for gold. It's almost like a free for all. And I think that's what the Niger Delta governors are getting at, where in the Niger Delta, on the other hand, it's highly regulated. Only the big multinationals seem to be able to prospect for oil, whilst in Zamfara, anybody can literally just go and start digging for gold and sell it. And I think what they are saying is they want that level of uh, autonomy in the region. To speak very quickly to that before you go on, I think think we also need to take into account the nature of the mining for 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 the two um, resource resources. I mean, gold. I mean, the way people get it, 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 it is artisanal by nature. I mean, it's, it lends itself to that kind of mining. While I mean, for oil, you need more infrastructure. You need a bigger setup to do that, because even the the big oil companies who are doing it are polluting the. Are, I mean, are, are polluting the environment and not even being able to take care of it, and people are suffering. So imagine if you let thousands of smallholder um, license owners begin to just sink wells all over the Niger Delta. I mean, it's, it's I mean, I, I can see, I can see it from that point of view. So I, I just want to make that quick point that, I mean, in, in, we need to take into account the difference between how you go about both activities. So carry on. No, I, I, I think I agree and still disagree because the, the fundamental point is obviously yes, uh, drilling for oil is not the same as drilling for gold or digging for gold. But the point is, as you have in, in Texas, in America, for example, if I own my house, my house I was talking about today, if, if, if I think there's oil in the garden, I can literally speak to Shell or Total and come to an agreement with them. They drill in my backyard, myself and Total share the profits, and then we pay tax to the government. And that's what the Niger Delta governors are getting at, that in Zamfara, a man can find, can think there's gold in his backyard and start digging. But in the Niger Delta, that freedom is not there. Firstly, obviously, because the nature is different. But even if it was, it's still more regulated. But on to uh, Irene. This, This debate is once again about restructuring of the country. There's one group that wants Nigeria restructured like a true federal state like America or Canada, for example. And there's another group that says, no, our unitary system as it is, is working. So which side of the debate do you belong to and why? Um, So on this debate, I want to start with something. Um, While while Vinit was talking, I remember that, you know, I can't remember the, I can't remember the senator who was making the case um, that, you know, that the Nigerian, um, the Nigerian uh, oil field space, uh, especially offshore oil field space is determined by, you know, the mass, the land mass of the country. And, you know, it is because of the large land mass of the North that we have the large, you know, oil field space that we do. And so, you know, and for that reason, you know, we should continue to share the proceeds of of um, oil exploration in Nigeria. And, you know, and 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 when the more that I thought about, you know, that statement, the more that, you know, I understood how 
the North sees the South. So, you know, there's in the South, there's a whole lot of, you know, self-determination. You understand what I mean? A desire and a, a personal and individual desire to be or to succeed or to, to exemplify um, the West, yeah? In the North, it's more, you know, to look to look more like the Western, to look more like the Eastern world, especially as regards religion, you know? And so because of that, you know, the whole idea of sharing or continuing in the federal system works for them. You know, they have built a very strong um, hegemony in both in, the, in, in, in all, you know, um, arms of government, you know, and all of that to make sure that, you know, this system that we are running today continues to run. And, you know, what, and the reason majorly is because they're not as productive, yeah? Uh, and to maintain, I mean, it's just like somebody who has refused to work now, you're gonna go, go you're gonna have to go look for a sugar daddy, right? So more or less, we are the sugar daddy and they're saying, oh, you know, because we are supposed to be, you know, some part of a family, then you can be my benefactor, you know? And then I can be the one who is managing the resources, which is what which is what we are seeing happening in Nigeria today. I'm completely on the side because, for many reasons, you know, everybody says, "Oh, but when you restructure, then we you know we're going to still break down into tinier fragments within ourselves and fight." You understand what I mean? Um, but let it be that we we do that. Restructuring will definitely help us one improve our productivity because now if you don't work you don't eat yeah so you're going to be forced to use what you have and there's so much that the north can contribute today um, to grow their own economy if they decide to do it so it's going to force that and then the on the other side you know if if we now start to fight in states what also happens is the more that you the more that you fight over resources the more that you add structure to protect everybody's resources isn't it so it would also force you know our government as well to become more efficient because that is the only way that they are going to 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 be able to survive by and large restructuring restructuring really really does favor us um i'm not sure that you know the the down to the very last um, um, principle of, of, you know, if I find oil in my yard, I should have oil. Uh, I should have, you know, I should go and negotiate with Total and, you know, drill and share and, and then pay a tax to the government. I'm not sure entirely that, you know, it would, it would be applied you know, to that specific, because, you know, as a, as a private individual, when you are making these decisions, you, you are thinking of yourself alone. But, you know, as we have seen with everything oil exploration today, it affects the community, it affects the country, you know, there are, there are environmental consequences, there are political consequences, there are financial consequences to it. So we're, we're definitely going to have to think of a way to, to, um, manage you know a joint ownership between between um the government and you know the owner of the resource but 
definitely, definitely, there is a strong need for us to restructure. You know, it, it, I think that restructuring is one of those things that will spark, you know, true change in Nigeria because um, when you're when the system as it is right now does not incentivize development. You know, and Nigerians are not even thinking of development. Nigerians are thinking of how to make money in Nigeria and carry it abroad and go and enjoy themselves. You know, the people who are looking at the people who are looking at the potential of Nigeria are mostly not in Nigeria. You know, the people who are looking at long-term potential of Nigeria are mostly not in Nigeria. And it's also because, you know, they're not also feeling it as much as the person who is sitting in Nigeria. You understand what I'm saying? The person who's in Nigeria is thinking, oh my God, listen, I just, I just have to get out of here first, breathe, and then build outside. And then when they go outside, they now see that, well, it's not so easy to build. And there are opportunities at home, but you know, we cannot do anything about it. I think this is where, this is the state where most young, I would say uh, most young, I would say mid twenties to fifties, um, Nigerians in their mid twenties to fifties lie today. You know, one minute they want to leave the country, five, six, seven, ten years later, you know, they're thinking about, okay, what can I invest back home? Everybody is, all my friends that I was with over the weekend do not live in Nigeria. I think only one of them lives in Nigeria. The rest of them live, live all across Europe. But, you know, everybody's thinking about where can we invest? Okay, we cannot invest back home, but we look, we're looking for a place like back home where we can invest. So now they're looking to bring their money to Kenya, you know? So, you know, it's that, it's that difficulty that we're having now. If we restructure, we give people, you know, we give, you know, people with the mind to invest with, with, the, with the ideas, with the resources, you know, to develop the country, the confidence to come back, you know, and to do, um, and to bring this development that we really, really need. But right now as it is, there's no, I mean, what is the, what is the incentive to restructure when you are the president's village man or you are Dangote? You understand what I'm saying? What is the incentive? Yes, the government closed borders, but yes, I got a waiver and I can move my own thing. So the rest of the country can go to blazes, but you know, my own life and my business is fine. So what is, why would I support it? You understand what I'm saying, you know? And all of these people have, are in, are in each other's um, businesses. It's all joined now. So everybody, in, almost everybody in top public office today is run, is in some cabal that is out to game the country. You know, so when they get in, everybody, even the people with good intentions out there, where everybody's campaigning, of course, we campaign in, how they say it again, we campaign in poetry, right? Everybody's waxing lyrical, waxing lyrical. When you go there and you see the real money and you see the real, you know, opportunity for your own personal growth and enhancement. And then also know that, you know, there will also be repercussions for not, for walking away from all of that. They just get in with the system, you know, and then, we have no restructuring, we have nothing. Every day we complain, you know, and then we go back to the same life. Well, thank you, Irene. You've raised many valid points. And in, in, in particular, you've said, which I agree, is that one of the things you said is that uh, restructuring incentivizes uh, development. I agree. If, if, if people took more responsibility for their wealth creation and understood that 
there was there was a shortage of free money, then yes, the incentive will be to be more productive. I just wanted to clarify a point you made because uh, obviously when I talked about people being able to drill for oil in their own backyard, like in Texas, but obviously in Texas, there are environmental rules governing the drilling of oil. So it's not just a free for all or drill baby drill where anybody just comes with a drill and starts drilling. No, there will be rules governing um, how you can prospect for oil. And oftentimes it wouldn't just be you because if there's oil in your garden then it's possible that everybody on the street has oil. So it'd be a joint agreement between Texaco, for example, and everybody on that street that look, we're going to do a deal, but we all, the, the essential thing is it is done by the individuals and the oil companies and government government's only role is regulation in terms of environmental standards and paying taxes, but the government does not get involved. To Omasa, I was going to ask you a question and it was Irene that asked this question and I was wondering if you could answer it. Irene said, what is the incentive for a politician, especially maybe a politician from the North because the Northern region tends to oppose restructuring. So what is the incentive for a politician from the North or a president from the North to support restructuring? Why should they support it? Well, I would say there's an enlightened self-interest in supporting restructuring at the moment because the way, if there's something the last three, four years has taught us is that time is running out to make some changes that will keep the country together and strong. So this is the North, this is the best time of the North for the president from the North to try and restructure because he can make sure the Northern interests are defended and secure in this new, if, if he's in charge of restructuring. And under a Southern president, and especially if the situation keeps deteriorating, the North will not have as many options as it currently has now. So the best way, the best reason why non-politicians should support restructuring is because this is the best time to secure the North's interests in a restructured Nigeria. Um, in the future, it might be too late and emotions might have hardened and people might be less willing to compromise in the future. So this that's one reason a non-politician should reform, should restructure Nigeria because because of the current situation and the deterioration of the situation, especially in the north over the last four years, with insecurity and insecurity, a weakening economy and rising poverty. That is why a smart non politician should start the process of restructuring now rather than later. Thank you, Amasa. And I 100% agree. I think if, if I was, if I were president of Nigeria of Northern extraction, I would be supporting restructuring 100% because it would help to develop the northern region in terms of education, agriculture. And quite frankly, if, if anybody, a foreigner, looked at the map of Nigeria, they would see that a lot of the advantage is actually in the north. So the north has nothing to fear from restructuring. It's actually an opportunity for them to develop their, their, their vast resources. But I, I hope we get to the point where all our leaders sit down together and, and fully understand that restructuring is, is a life or death issue because Nigeria cannot survive as she's currently structured unless we do something about it. 
Michael, also, you made a point in your speech about oil, about there not being any artists, no prospecting of oil in Niger in the Niger Delta. I don't necessarily think that is true, especially if you look at, especially if you've heard of the work of Gorben Tompolo, for example. So it happens on a wide on a widespread scale, although it's illegal. So I think what the Niger Delta government should have been trying to push is for the legalization of artisanal small-scale mining by by people by local indigents in that kind of way. No, I don't. I don't mean to be pernickety or pedantic, but. There's no prospecting of oil going there. What they are doing is oil stealing. So they are basically drilling into the pipes of the other oil companies and taking oil from those pipes and then uh, refining them with their small, uh, with their sort of uh, homemade uh, refineries. That's what they are doing. But there's no drilling for oil by Tompolo. Uh, he doesn't. We don't have those types of. Uh, doesn't have that capacity to to drill for oil. All he's doing is just stealing oil from other people's pipes. But on to the final topic. Uh, in Lagos State, the they call him the Governor Emeritus, uh, Bola uh, Tinubu. Some call him Asiwa Juice. Others call him the Jagaban. Uh, he's in the news. He's been in the news all week because, firstly, he's obviously interested in becoming president, but he's also the leader of the APC. One of the leaders of the APC. And there's allegations that through his status, he's been diverting resources from Lagos state government into his private pockets. A recent report by the Gazette newspaper disclosed that billions have gone from the accounts of the Lagos state government to private entities controlled by Bolatinubu. Uh, it's a very detailed report. And one of the interesting parts for me was a lot of the characters were approached to say, look, your name is on this company, billions moved from Lagos State government into your account. Do you know anything about it? And many of them were denying knowledge of companies that they were supposed to be running. So I found that interesting, how the extent to which uh, Nigerian figures lie about publicly available information. So firstly, to uh, Phoenix, the, the, the big story is the Alpha Beta company allegedly owned by Tinubu does tax management for Lagos state government, charges them billions, and then wires the money to entities controlled by Tinubu. So the first question is, is there actually anything wrong with what Alpha Beta is doing? I unequivocally say, I mean, there's everything wrong with it. I mean, let's, let's, tr let's trace back, I mean, the history of this current, uh, what, what do we call it, is it the Fourth Republic? When, when, when Tinubu became governor of Lagos State, at that time, the, the entire Nigerian economy was, was uh, not where it, was, it, it ought to be, given the years of military rule. And in typical military style, uh, uh, Colonel Buba Marwa, who was the sole administrator that handed over to, to Tinubu, had this, um, this arrangement where they had a a revenue consultant act on behalf of the Lagos state government collecting revenue because they had simply not developed the proper systems. And, you know, in military style, you want to just rule by fiat. Now, when they, when, when, the, when democracy came and the civilians took over, they had to practically build the, 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 the governance structures from scratch. So you could understand them continuing to have a consult a, a a revenue consultant for 
the first, maybe the first four-year term to enable them set up. And set up they did. They set up so many systems, especially in that first term of Tunubus, that you, you then had the LIS coming to its own. And then you had someone like, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Um, the guy that went to FIS, Fowler. Tunde Fowler. Exactly, coming and, you know, really build out. They had an army of people in LIS and they were doing good work. So my question, and this is not today, I've been asking this for maybe a decade now, has been, why did Alphabeta remain in place after building your own, uh, your own revenue collection agency? There was no need anymore to have an Alphabeta. So I can understand a, a transition. I can understand for, okay, let's even say throughout Tinubu's term, you are still building. But by the time we got to Fashola, they had a proper governance structure in place in Lagos. Lagos was generating massive amounts of IGR. They were doing the right things. LIS was ubiquitous. They were everywhere. They were. Why did they still have an Alphabeta in place? Now we know why. It was, it was due to um, corruption to make sure that that conduit pipe for, get, for getting, how would I call it, as clean money as possible from government on a regular basis remained in place. Because all you had to do was to point to the fact that, oh, they are consultants and they are, they are supposed to collect 10% of whatever revenue that Lagos State government gets. You, you, you simply have to just show up that contract in any court. Nobody will say that there's any corruption until now that the, that the onion, onion layers are being peeled and you true because every before it was basically anecdotal information that oh Tinubu is the one in behind this alpha beta uh, uh, screen, but now we're seeing actual documents that are now showing that it was clearly uh, a conduit pipe for Tinubu to continue to siphon uh, Lagos State resources, and and, and that's and that's why all along this was wrong. It was not just wrong because there was a there was a particular opera at one point in time when they were trying to, I think Lagos State government was writing some, no, no, it was at um, the federal level or something like that. There was an act that was created and, and we saw that the, the, the name Alphabeta was put inside the law just to show you how, how much they had been so ingrained with Tinubu and by extension, the APC. So one, on the one hand, this was clearly wrong and, and I mean, luckily for Lagosians, now it's coming to the fore and maybe they'll be able to finally put an end to this parasitic relationship. But even more, more telling, I'm sure you'll probably touch on that point. The reason why all this is coming to a head is because of um, the turn in, in Tinubu's political fortunes, right? People have known this thing for quite a while. People had this information for quite a while and sat on it or turned, turned uh, a blind, blind eye and now, I mean, it's all bubbling to the fore, and, and you're able to rightly put the heat on on Tinubu and his cronies who who perpetuated this 20-year um, fraud. Yes. Well, thank you, uh, Phoenix. I I quite agree that. Uh, well, I said I I agree partially in the sense that yes, this. Alpha beta arrangement with the Lagos State government seems very corrupt in the sense that it's not even clear there was a competitive bidding process for them to get the contract. It doesn't appear that there's some kind of annual, or even if it's a biannual uh, review of the contract to see if they're the best people to do it. Well, in principle, I, I don't see anything wrong with a government employing external consultants to help with maybe revenue collection. But 
I think in this case, it's the, it's the opaque nature of it and the fact that it seems it was specifically designed to benefit Tilibu as opposed to benefit the people of Lagos. And my, my question to you, Irene, is because obviously I know you're from the eastern part of Nigeria. And what I'm trying to understand is Lagos State seems to be the only state where somebody who was governor in 1999 and left office in 2007 still seems to be able to be the preeminent godfather of that state dictating appointments and controlling business transactions. What, what, what is it? How, how is, this, is it that this structure has managed to survive in Lagos but cannot seem to survive? Godfathers don't seem to be able to survive in any other part of Nigeria except Lagos. Why is that? So this thing with, the thing with Lagos is that, you know, I would consider what is happening in Lagos organized crime. Um, and the reason, and, and really um, at the expense of, <laughs> of, of being picked up by one big man, the, the truth about it is it is run like organized crime. Yeah, there is, you know, the, fa the fact that they're in government today, but not just in government, but they're in everything Lagos today. I mean, Tinubu's sister is Yaloja, isn't it? Um, there, I think she's, she's the Yaloja currently. She's in the market system. Before her was his mother. Before, you know, it's- It's his daughter. It literally, his daughter, sorry. You know, so it literally is, you know, a family holding, holding on to and putting themselves in every, you know, um, so to say legal um, means of making money in Lagos State. So it becomes very difficult. Then they are, the Tinubus are now an institution, you know. There's nowhere that you mentioned today that there's no part of, there's no part of any Lagos, any Lagos project today that cannot be linked to a Tinubu somewhere or the other. I mean, I was reading the report on, um, on you know the monies that was paid um, um, by Alpha Beta to Ocean Trust and you know the board members of Ocean Trust, you know and you know you you still see that everything is centered around the Tinubus. You know you're talking about you know the lighting today. You're talking about lighting um um lighting today in Lagos. It's run by Fola Tinubu. You're talking about LCC. It's still Tinubu. So what exactly, you know, how exactly are you going to uproot this guy? It's, it's really, really difficult because you cannot separate him from Lagos State. And, you know, everybody who has tried, you know, who has tried to one-up this godfather has, has met serious, serious roadblocks. I mean, the one moment Fashola went out of line and then, you know, we started to see everywhere that he, he was dirty you understand Ambode was was I mean thoroughly disgraced and I mean every once in a while it, I, I think let me tell you what I think I think that you know it's really unfortunate what they, what they, what they did with to Ambode because every couple of months they just remember the guy and disgrace him in the media and just say oh you know we're probing him for this and you know and just keep it moving so sometimes um you know people for instance people like Jimmy Abaje now you know sometimes I'm tempted to be light on him because, you know, light of my criticism of him because of, you know, because of the, the kind of force that he's fighting against. But, you know, him, he also has his own problems. He's, he's quite an unserious candidate, you know, and that's that. But 
Um, the thing, the thing that makes it difficult is the fact that you know the Tinubus are an institution in Lagos, and I'm not sure. I, I, I even I don't know how we're going to be able to get to get rid of that institution because we don't even know how far it goes. Today, you can't even get an FOI request um, out of Lagos State. So you know we don't know how deep because all the things we know today is because of a little infighting here and there. You know. Um, It'd be good for us to see and know what exactly we're really dealing with. Um, and it would really be good for us to see what the next generation of, of Tinubu's look like. For sure, I don't see Tinubu going to, let me not say for sure, Sha, but I don't really see Tinubu going to the presidency. Um, I know he will run as is his ambition, but I don't see him, I don't see him ever be, being a president of Nigeria. And, you know, I think that even you know, his wife cannot, I mean, she cannot do too much today, but it'd be good to see, you know, what that next generation of Tinubus show us until, you know, we're ready to get rid of this godfather. Well, thank you, Irene. I, I think you're quite right. Right, Their their fingers or Tinubus tentacles are in so many parts of Lagos, it's almost impossible to untangle him. But, uh, Hopefully, uh, Lagos will get to the point where they are free, like the, or relatively free, because I, I don't think the other states of Nigeria are doing particularly well anyway. So, uh, but hopefully, Lagos will be politically free. Um, Omasa, one of the points Irene, one of the issues Irene touched upon, she said, we're only finding about these issues, only discovering these issues because of infighting within the APC, and as you talked about Tinubu's presidential ambitions. Now, I suppose the question is, I'm trying to understand, because in 2015, Tinubu, alongside his APC allies, were all screaming that Jonathan had to leave because Jonathan was corrupt. But at that time, the stories about Alpha Beta were already in the public, were already in the public space, but people did not want to hear. Even those people shouting corruption were not interested in what Tinubu was doing in Lagos. So why is it all of a sudden now that the APC knows that Alpha Beta is a corrupt uh, organization? Well, it's well on Tinubu and his spies in every part of Lagos. This is why, for example, part of Lagos are neglected because of the get because of the, and neglected in infrastructure and government spending because they have termity to go vote against APC in elections. But that's a whole different story. Well, the main reason we're finding about Alphabet today is purely because Tinubu is running for president. And these all these stories are getting publicized because Alphabet has been in the public, has been fairly public knowledge for a very long time. It's been, it's not like it's in a secret. Everyone has known Alphabet as the tax consulting company for the legal state government. But the reason we're hearing about all these scandals is clearly because Tinubu wants to run for president and he has made a lot of enemies along the way who will do anything to stop him from becoming president. As a result of this, they're leaking stories to the newspapers and friend and briefing against him in the, briefing against him because he is running for president and they want to stop him from doing so. There are many different candidates for the people behind this effort because, like I said, he's made a lot of enemies over the years as a politician who controls a political machine in Lagos. But 
that's the main reason we're hearing about all these stories. And I suspect if he keeps persisting in his ambition to run the president, to become president, there will be a lot, we'll be hearing a lot more stories along these lines. It's pure hypocrisy. They knew Tinubu and Buhari and everyone knew what they were doing in 2015. And now they've fallen apart over the shares of, of the, uh, the sharing of power and loot. So it's, in my case, I have a kind of schadenfreude, Freud, schadenfreude, because it's not really, in, it makes me happy when they fight because we learn things that we would not otherwise have learned. Like Irene said, it was clear that Alphabeta was doing something dodgy for years and years and then, but no one bothered until Tinwood decided to become more ambitious and run for the presidency. Thank you. And my final question to you, Amasa, as well, is the other thing Irene said was she doesn't believe Tinubu will ever become president. Do you agree? Do you think Tinubu will can become president, or are you? Uh, all no, I don't think it's possible anymore. He doesn't have the numbers because of like yeah, and he's made too many enemies in the southwest. Who will rather would who will not let him get anywhere close to that and work with anybody to prevent him doing that. So. <laughs> So he's not going to become president anytime soon. And same with the other main candidate, RFI. I don't think they have a chance. They'll probably be a compromised candidate, in my view. Well, thank you, Omasa. Thank you, all our guests, because our time is up. So firstly, I need to thank all our listeners for being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. I must thank our two guests, Omasa and Irene. Thank you for your excellent contributions. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting. Um, but until this time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Irene and Awasa for joining us. Uh, thanks, Nigeria's Best, uh, for another week. And thanks most especially to our listeners. Um, our weekly reminder that NSARS is still a movement that is going very strong. Um, I mean, especially now that the government of the day has decided to crack down on people who are um, expressing their constitutionally protected and provided rights. Um, so we must continue to support uh, the cause and especially shine the light on the Lekki massacre until, until the culprits are brought to book. Um, this will continue to be a call from us. Thanks everyone. Have a great week ahead. Bye. Thank bye. you. All right. Bye.